appreciate everybody's presence this evening, uh, Sunday night. Got a good crowd here tonight. Appreciate it. Don't have quite as many as we do on Sunday morning, but uh, good, a good number, and uh, appreciate the presence of everyone this evening. Appreciate, uh, I think sometimes uh, I make my share of mistakes, at least my share, and maybe even more than my share sometimes. And You've been very patient with me through the years, and I appreciate that. Probably don't say that enough and express my gratitude for that enough, but I just thought I'd mention that tonight. I appreciate that a great deal. All right, I want you to put yourself in the position of a teacher, a school teacher, this evening. We talked a little bit about a class that I took in back years and years ago, but uh, think, think of yourself as a school teacher. We have some school teachers here. This kind of thing might sound familiar to you. At the beginning of the school year, you receive an order from your principal, from your superior, uh, who received the order from his or her superior, maybe the Board of Education, who received the order from the Department of Education. And so this, this instruction is kind of come down to you from through the various channels that your students at the end of the year are going to be expected to have learned and mastered certain elements of the subject you're teaching. So let's say you're teaching math, and at the end of the year, your students are going to be able, are, are expected to be able to add and subtract and divide and multiply, and maybe even do some higher math functions. And so that's, that's, your, that's your goal, that's your task, to make sure your students know that material. In fact, if they don't know that material, it's your job that's at risk. Now, I don't think that's very far from the way it actually is. So uh, your students are expected to know this material. And your job is on the line. Your job is at risk if they don't know it. So, so how are you going to make sure that they know the material? What are you going to do? Well, you can just teach the material and, and at the end hope they, hope they learn it, you know. Now, I hope they've got it. Or you might evaluate their progress through the year and, and periodically evaluate their progress. Now, you can do that in different ways, of course. If you're teaching maybe an English or a history class, you might get them to write a paper, to write a report about some particular subject you've been studying and hand that in and, and read it. Or what's another way? What's another way to evaluate a student's progress to see if they've mastered the necessary material? What, what could you do? What could you do? You could give them a test along the way, couldn't you? So periodically, you give a test. And depending on how they do on that test, you're able to decide, you're able to determine they're learning the material or they're not learning the material. And you might get mixed results. Uh, but if they're learning the material along the way, if they've progressed, well then you go on to the next section, the next material. If they haven't mastered this, well you might spend a little bit more time on it, but one way to evaluate a student's progress is by, by giving a test. The teacher, I'll let the students know, uh, the, the, the teacher wants you to pass the test. They don't want to have to teach the material over again. You know, that, that's frustrating. They want, they want you to pass the test. They give you a test hoping that you'll do well because that will tell the teacher 
I'm getting through. I'm doing my job. Things are going well. Looks like my job is secure. The teacher wants you to pass the test, not fail the test. Sometimes as students, we, we look at a test and we think, well, that teacher is just mean. They just want us to fail. No, no. They want you to pass. And uh, they're going to do everything they can to teach you and prepare you for the coming test. Well, we're going to look at a test in the Bible tonight. I'm going to put this picture up here. Can you take a look at that? It might take you a minute or two to figure that out. But uh, what, what's, this, what's this picture about? We'll uh, maybe go over it a little bit and maybe look at some of the details. Well, here you got a donkey down here, maybe a horse. you got a couple of young guys down here. They're, they're with uh, this animal. And you got an older man over here. And he's a godly man. He's a righteous man. This, this thing around his head is called a nimbus. It just indicates that he's a, in this style of painting, iconography, that indicates he's a good man. He's a godly man. He's an older man. You can see that. He's got a knife in his hand. He's got, he's got a flame as well. And they're, they're kind of walking up this hill. Here, here's a younger character. And he's got some wood. He sticks on his back. And they're, they're walking up. You got over here, what have you got over here? You got an altar over here, and it's got a flame, and you got a ram over here. And up here, you got the older man, he's got the nimbus around his head. He's got the younger guy now, he's got a knife, got his head pulled back. It looks like he's ready to, ready to kill him. Figured it out? It's Abraham and Isaac, right? So let's go to Genesis chapter 22, and let's look at this test that God gives Abraham. In, uh, in this particular passage regarding his son Isaac. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. It came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. So here's, that's, that's what we have depicted in our... In our uh, in our picture up here. But, but here's the test. Take your son, Isaac, you, the son whom you love, take him to Moriah, to this particular mountain. I'm going to show you which mountain. And there I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. And so this, this is the test. Well, there are other tests in the Bible as well. Let's look at a few of those, and we can kind of get an idea of what God is, is doing by giving this test. 1 Samuel chapter 17 David is, is fighting Goliath, or he's preparing to go and fight Goliath. Remember, Saul gives him his armor and his sword. And so, remember, Saul is very tall. He's head and shoulders taller than the rest of the army. David is, is a youth. And so, Saul gives David his armor. You can only imagine what that armor must have looked like when David put it on him. And his sword. And in verse 39, David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And so David said to Saul, I can't go with these. I haven't tested them. And David took them off. And so I haven't, I haven't examined them to see if they're suitable for me, to see if they're fit, to see if they're, uh, if, if I'm going to, able to be able to accomplish the task that is set before me. I haven't tested them yet to see if they're, uh, if they're fit for my use. So that's the idea of a test. You're, you're, putting something to a trial or an examination to find out the quality of that thing or the fitness or the worthiness of that thing. 
In this particular case, it's David using Saul's armor. Look at 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. We see a, another test. On this occasion, the Queen of Sheba, let me get into the right chapter, instead of 2 Kings, 1 Kings, the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon, uh, and um, verse 1 says, she came to test him with difficult questions. And so, she came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue, with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. And Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from uh, the king, which, she did not, which he did not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house he had built, the food of his table, and all of those things, she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and about your wisdom. Nevertheless, I didn't believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. And so you exceed even the, your reputation. So she put him to the test. She, she put him to an examination to see if he was worthy of all the praise that he's getting, all the, the honor that he's receiving. To, to see if he's actually as wise as his reputation might suggest. So she's, she's putting him to the test. She's examining him to find out something about him. In this case, his wisdom. And then turn over to the book of Daniel, and you see a, a third example of someone who is tested. In, in Daniel, remember chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel and his three friends are are separated from the other young men who have been taken into Babylonian captivity, and they're going to be separated and given special training in the Babylonian culture. And involved in all of that was uh, they were given certain food to eat. In verse 8, da Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he saw permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So Daniel offers another, an, you know, sort of an alternative uh, plan. Verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So just put us to the test. Put us to an examination and, and, and see if by eating these vegetables, instead of, instead of the Babylonian food, you'll find out something about us. In this particular case, you'll find out whether we are healthy and whether we are wise and, and those kinds of things. So here are three tests, and there are others in the Bible, but these are three. We're going to look at it some more in just a few minutes. David testing the weapons of Saul, but he's trying to figure out something about the weapons, well, their, their quality and their fitness. you got the Queen of Sheba testing Solomon with her questions to find out something about him, his wisdom. And then you've got Daniel uh, being tested with uh, the food and to see something out, see about, see, learn something about him. In the, we'll make some observations. In the case of each test, the result may be one thing or another, okay? And so in, in each case, the test might result in one thing or another. And so David, rather Daniel, it might turn out that he's healthy and wise, or, or might turn out that he's unhealthy and foolish. 
And when Solomon is tested, it might turn out that he's wise, or it might turn out that he's foolish. And if David were to test the weapons and armor of Saul, he might discover that they're, they're very good and usable, or he might find out that it's not going to work at all for him. And so the, the possibility of multiple results is what makes the exercise a test. You see, it's not a test if there's not a possibility of multiple results, is there? That, that's not a test. It, it's not a test for me. I'm going to see if this, this wood here is hard. I'm going to see if that's hard. I'm going to put that to the test. That's, there's, there's only one result. And so the possibility of multiple results is what makes it a test. And that implies, you see, that, what, what that implies is free will. And so Abraham might pass the test, or he might not pass the test. See, if God has already determined the result, that's, that's not a test, is it? <laughs> if, if the result is already predetermined, you, you can't really call that a test. And so the fact that God tests Abraham suggests that Abraham might pass the test, or he might fail the test. And so that's implied in the test. An examination is made to determine the quality or the fitness or the worthiness of a person or an object. And the examination involves a challenge to the quality that's under examination. So it's Solomon's wisdom that's under consideration. And so what does the Queen of Sheba do? She counts horses. That wouldn't, make, that wouldn't be a test of wisdom, would it? <laughs> you know? She asks him questions challenging his wisdom. The test is applied to the quality that's in question or under consideration. Daniel's mental and physical well-being are challenged by the diet that he eats. The quality of Saul's weapons as instruments of battle are challenged by David. So let's take all that information and go back to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22 why would God test Abraham in this way? Why would God test Abraham? What, what quality of Abraham is, is under consideration, is being examined? Is there some question about it? And so God is testing him to make an examination, to make an evaluation of Abraham and a particular quality especially. Well, we know that Abraham is a great man of faith. Romans chapter 4 teaches us that. Hebrews chapter 11 teaches us that. Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to him for righteousness. We, we know that Abraham was a man of great faith, but there were times in Abraham's life when he did some rather questionable things. have to admit that. You read the story of Abraham, go back to Genesis, read the story, kind of scratch your head sometimes and think, you know, why, why would Abraham do that? If he was a man of such a great faith, why would he do that? Well, he does some questionable things. For example, he lied about his relationship with his wife. Remember in Genesis chapter 12, uh, there's a famine in the land of Canaan, and Abram, as he's known at this time, and Sarai, she, they go down into Egypt. And Abraham's a little bit afraid to go down there. He thinks that they're going, the Egyptians are going to see how beautiful Sarah is and kill him and take, and take Sarah. And so they come up with a plan. Why don't you say that you're my sister? And that way, they, you know, my life might be spared. And so they do that. 
And it's a disaster. You know, we remember the story, just a, just a disastrous result. Just doesn't work out well at all. And then, surprisingly, he does it again in Genesis chapter 20, this time with the Philistines, with Abimelech. And so, again, this, the same plan, you know, going to go over here. We're, we're afraid that they're going to kill me and take you. And so, look, say, say that you're my sister. Now, that's the passage where we learn that she is actually his half-sister, but their intention is to deceive the people they're telling this story to so that Abraham's life might be spared. So that's, that's questionable, to say the least. Well, he does other questionable things. He, he fathers a child by the handmaid of Sarah. And so time is going by. God has promised that Abraham will have a son, and through his descendants a great nation will develop. Abraham and Sarah don't have any children. They're, they're old by this time. Sarah passed the age of childbearing, and so, and so they come up with a plan. Sarah says, here's my handmaid, this young servant girl of mine. Why don't you conceive a child by her? And maybe that's the way that God's promise will be fulfilled. And so they do. Now that's, that's not a good idea. <laughs> you know? And uh, again, it's disaster. Problems result from all of that. But in fact, you know, he does accept Hagar, and she conceives a child, and then the, the problems begin. And then in chapter 17, when God tells, this is a little bit later, God tells Sarah that, and Abraham that Sarah will have a child, Abraham advocates for Ishmael to be the one through whom God fulfills his promise. Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And so Abraham's really doing some questionable things. Well, um, you know, uh, uh, let's, let's tell everybody you're my sister. That way I'll live. Uh, and they do it again. Uh, he has this child by Hagar, this uh, child by Sarah's handmaid, and then even advocates for, her, for him before God. Why do you do all those things? Well, isn't he enhancing the fulfillment of God's promise? You see, if they kill me, how can God's promise be fulfilled? You know, if they kill me and they take you, how can God's promise, I, we got to save our lives, we got to save my life. And, uh, you know, you're not, you're not conceiving, and so let's, let's try to go through this Hagar and have a child by her. And so again, trying to fulfill God's promise. Not patient, not waiting on God to fulfill His own promise, but in their impatience, uh, they're trying to, to help things along. And they're trying to enhance the likelihood or the probability or the, even the surety that God's promise will be fulfilled. And so you can see why God is testing Abraham. Abraham Let's see if you've learned to trust me. Now you take your child. This is the child of promise. Now you take your child and I want you to kill him, offer him on the altar as a burnt offering. And let's see if you've learned to trust that I will fulfill my promise through you and through, and through Isaac. Let's, let's, let's see about that. And so in this passage, God tests Abraham. He tests him in a specific way. He's examining Abraham's faithfulness, his trust. He's going to evaluate Abraham's trust based on Abraham's actions. And so you can see that. You can see how this tests Abraham's trust and his faithfulness. Strikes really right at the heart of God's promise to Abraham. Abraham, have you learned to trust me? 
And what Abraham does, how he responds to the test, will tell God if Abraham has learned to completely trust in him or not. See, Abraham could pass the test or fail the test. That's what makes it a test. And so God is going to find out something about Abraham. What have we learned from this so far? Well, at times God will test His people. God tests Abraham. And there are, let's look at a few other passages that indicate that God will test His people. These are Old Testament passages. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 25. The people, verse 24, the people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? And they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree and threw it into the waters where the waters were bitter, and the waters became sweet. He made for them a statute and a regulation. There he tested them, and he said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of your, the Lord your God, and do what's right in His sight, and give ear to His commandments, and keep all His statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on which on you, which I put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am, am your healer. Now I'm going to give you some commandments, and I'm going to test you. And, and if you obey them, well then, I, you know, I'm not going to put any of these diseases that are put on the Egyptians, I'm going to put any of them on you. Now if you don't pass the test, well, no promises then. But here's the test. The commandments that God gave them, I'm going to find out something about your faithfulness, your loyalty, your obedience. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3, or this verse 1. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God swore to give to your fathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Here's the test. I'm giving you this test to know, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to learn something about you. I'm going to give you this test so that I might know about your faithfulness. Your, how you do on the test is going to tell me something about you. And then go to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2 and verse 22. Judges chapter 2. This chapter... Uh, summarizes the cycle that Israel goes through during this time period. They could become unfaithful to God. God sends a nation in to oppress them. They endure that oppression for a while, then cry out to God. God raises up a judge. They're faithful for a while, and then the cycle begins all over again. Finally, God says, I'm not going to drive these nations out. Verse 21, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, in order to test Israel by them, whether they'll keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. Now leave these nations in the land. I'm going to test them. There's going to be a test to see whether they'll be faithful or not. These nations are going to be an influence. They're going to be kind of thorns in their sides, you remember, and it's going to be a, a problem for them. But, but it's, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to learn something about them from the way they deal with these nations. Chapter 3 of Judges in verse 1, chapter 3. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. And you get the point. And so God challenges Israel's faithfulness. The, the, the test is directed and focused on the quality in question. 
Their faithfulness is in question. And so God applies a test, an examination. If they disobey, they prove themselves unfit for God's favor. Of course, God has good reason to test Israel's obedience, doesn't He? I mean, he's already learned by this point that that, that quality is in question, and so He's going to put it to a test. We, we might think of Job's experience as a test as well. The, the word test isn't used in this way in the book of Job, but it certainly is a test to see if he's going to remain loyal and, and faithful to God. God. Based on this information, God may test us as well. Though I think it's difficult for us to say about any one event in our life. Now that's a test. It does test our faith. It does test our obedience. And maybe the best that we can say is, perhaps God has sent me this, directed my steps in this direction to test me. He'll test us in areas we may have difficulty with. All right, that's, yeah, that's the value of the test. Test us in areas we have difficulty with. If we have difficulty with our anger, what do you think God's going to do with that? How's He going to direct our lives? What is going to put, our, put us in a position where our anger might be aroused? He's going to see how we respond. Maybe He's going to test our patience. Well, how, what do you think He's going to do? Well, He'll direct our lives so that we're put in situations that try or test our patience. And the way we respond to that is going to tell God something about us. And so, there are times when God may test us as well. Now, if you know the test is coming, what, what do you need to do? <laughs> well, you need to prepare for it, right? You need to get ready for it. And so we know the test is coming. We know that there may be instances in our lives where our faithfulness is tested, our patience is tested, our anger is tested. What do we need to do? Well, we need to get ready for the test when it comes, and that's going to help us pass it when it comes. Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 22, and let's see, how did Abraham do with his test? Well, you know the story, Abraham passes. Verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we'll worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his, Isaac his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two men of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here, here I am, son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide. For himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Don't stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him for... Now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham raised his eyes and looked. Behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up on, uh, for a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. 
Abraham passes the test, doesn't he? And so, Abraham's learned through the trust God completely. Be patient. God doesn't need your help. <laughs> God will fulfill His purpose in His way, in His time. You just trust. You just have confidence and obey Him, and God will, and God will provide. Now, now notice those two state, couple of statements here. God will provide. Verse 8, God will, where, where's the lamb? God will provide. I didn't say that back when he thought, maybe Eliezer is the, <laughs> is the heir. No, no, you know, God will provide an heir. And he didn't say that when, well, maybe a son by Hagar. Maybe that's, no, no, he didn't say, well, you know, Sarah, that's, I don't really want to do that because I believe God, God will provide. See, he doesn't say those things on those occasions. He doesn't say, you know, we're going to go down in here into Egypt and it might be dangerous for us, but you know, God, God will provide. He's going to fulfill His promise. But now he's learned God will provide. Just yield to Him, give way to Him, and He'll take care of it. It'll be okay. Notice also that tell, Abraham tells the two young men in verse 5, we're going to go over there and worship, and then we're going to return. The idea is he's, he's expressing his resolve there. We're going to go over there, and we have every intention, we, of coming back. We're resolved, you know, we're resolute. We're, we're coming back. And so uh, Abraham's trust in God's promise has grown. And so, and so even though God has said, I want you to offer your son Isaac on the, as a burnt offering on the altar, Abraham is just confident, well, God... I may not understand how, but, but this is the child. And God's going to fulfill His promise. The book of Hebrews says that he believed God could raise him from the dead if necessary. So Abraham's trust in God has grown. He knows that God will not renege on His promise. God needs no help from him to fulfill it. And again, chapter or verse 12, now, now I know. Now that I've seen the way you've handled the test. Now I know that you fear God. Abraham passed the test by trusting in God and obeying His command. Trust in God and obey His command, and God will provide. And as a result, he is upheld in the New Testament as prime example of faith. You see it in Romans chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 11 as well. This uh, particular Episode is noted in verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and uh, he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was said to whom it, uh, it was he to whom it was said, and Isaac your descendants will be called. He considered that God was able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. In James chapter 2, James holds up Abra uh, Abraham as a great example of faith. Abraham's faith in God was made complete by his willingness to offer Isaac on the altar. And so Abraham passed the test. God gives him a test, strikes right at the heart of the quality that's in question, his trust. And uh, Abraham, his trust has grown and he passes the test as very well. Now, how are we going to do when our test comes? How, how are we going to do? Are we going to pass? Are we going to fail? I don't think God is going to speak to us the way He spoke to Abraham. You know, audibly, I want you to do this, you know, the way 
God, God doesn't speak to people in that way today. And there was a time when He did. Spoke to the fathers through the prophets, but now He speaks to us in His Son. And so God communicates to us in His Son in the, you know, in, in the New Testament that contains the teaching of Christ. And so He's not going to ask us to do some extraordinary thing, like sacrifice a child or build an ark or sell everything you've got and move to a dangerous place. Our test is going to be more like Israel's test. The law of God is before us. The law of God is before us. Here it is. I've revealed it to you. And, and you know it. You've learned it. Now, let me see if you obey or if you don't obey. And it may be in everyday, ordinary experiences that we face these kinds of tests, but our actions will reveal our character and God will know it. And so here's the command to obey God's commands. And when we obey, oh, now I know, like in the case of Abraham, now I know that you fear the Lord, or now I know you don't fear the Lord, depending on our response. The test may involve consequences which appear to be harmful if we do God's will. And that was the, kind of the situation with Abraham. You want me to kill this, this son? This is the son of promise. And so the, the consequences of obedience seem severe. And that's the way it might be with us. You know, if I tell the truth in this particular situation, I, I might very well get in trouble at work if I tell the truth. If I'm, if I'm totally honest, I might, that might come back on me and I might get in trouble. I might even lose my job. And so the consequence of doing right might seem severe. What are we going to do? <laughs> That's the test. God's going to learn something about us. How are we going to perform? We pass the test, in our case, by obeying the will of God and trusting Him to provide. And so if we have a problem with honesty, if, that, if that's a quality of ours that's you know, under some consideration, God is, is going to put us in a situation, I believe, to test us, to test that, that honesty. How do we pass? We pass by being honest. If God tests our patience, we pass by being patient. If God tests our anger, we pass by controlling our anger. Just like God tested Abraham's trust, he passed by trusting. What about those severe consequences that may come if we're honest and put ourselves at risk? Well, we just have to trust that God will provide. That doesn't mean that everything's going to turn out great as far as this life is concerned, if we do what we're supposed to do. Sometimes it may not turn out so great as far as this life is concerned, but we just need to trust in God that He will provide. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 provides a good illustration from the life of Paul. We don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. And so I'm going to trust in God who will deliver us, He on whom we have set our hope, and He will yet deliver us. And so I was in a dangerous situation. I was under the threat of losing my life. I trusted in God and He, he delivered. 
Look at Hebrews chapter 10, and we see another similar situation when Christians were under trial. And listen to what happens to them. Verse 32, Remember the former days, when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. And so you are held up to public ridicule because of your faith. He goes on, For you showed sympathy to the prisoners. Some of you, because of your faith, were were put in jail. You were prisoners, accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. And so you proved yourself to be faithful. I want you to continue to prove yourself to be faithful. That's the point of that passage. But you've endured some very difficult consequences. Some of you put in prison the seizure of your property. You've been held up to public ridicule. It doesn't minimize those things. You know, you've, you've endured them. We always have to remember that this world is not our home, is it? This world is not our home. And if we suffer the consequences of doing right here and now, we know that God will not forget what we've done, our, our faithfulness. And so, God will test His people. And He's going to learn something about us from the test if we pass or if we fail. Now God's not going to come to us in the middle of the night and say, I want you to sacrifice your only son. That's not the kind of test that God God is going to do. It's going to be in everyday things, everyday situations regarding the law. Things like honesty and anger and patience and maybe other areas as well. And God's going to learn whether we're faithful and loyal or unfaithful and disloyal and disobedient from the way that we handle the test. So let's be prepared. It's the whole purpose of the lesson. Let's be prepared for the test when it comes so that we can pass. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunities we've had today to come together and to worship you. We pray, Father, that what we've done is, has been pleasing to you, that it's been beneficial to us. Father, we are thankful that you're involved in our lives and that you bless us in so many ways. We understand, Father, that, that uh, you, you will test us. You'll test our faith. You'll test our obedience and our loyalty. We understand that, Father, and so we pray that we'll be prepared when that time comes, that we will obey your commandments, that we will follow your word. Sometimes doing that, Father, will result in some rather severe consequences. But we pray, Father, that we have enough trust in You and devotion and determination to do Your will that we'll, despite the consequences, that we'll be faithful and loyal and and obedient. We trust in You, Father, to show us the way, to give us the strength to endure and to give us the reward, if not in this life, in the life to come. We're thankful for your son Jesus, that he came into this world, that he showed us the way, that he passed through every trial successfully, and that he was raised from the dead to sit at your right hand. We look forward, Father, to the day when we will be raised and we will sit before you in glory as well. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.